you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews, and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. Janine Garner. I am the host of this podcast, Unleashing Brilliance, and it is an absolute pleasure to welcome you today. Now, we are no doubt, all of us living in some of the most craziest times ever, uh, times of ongoing questions and yet not enough answers, where change is never not there, where almost on a daily basis, if not hourly basis, so many of us around the world are having to navigate, we're having to evolve, we're having to change our thinking, we're having to innovate. And the reality is that right here today, as I'm recording this, we actually have no idea when we are going to move out of this emergency phase of COVID-19 and into a more balanced phase of reimagining what the future of work looks like. And in this uncertainty, every single one of us is being challenged to navigate, to create, to continue to be curious, uh, to join the dots differently, and most of all, to keep inspiring ourselves and other people to keep motoring on through and out of the other side. The one thing that every single one of us needs to uh, actually embrace is this need this curiosity, this wonderment into how to innovate. What should be, uh, what should innovation look like? What does next look like? And so I'm so excited to bring to you today my next guest, Ben Fredrickson. He has been a member of the leadership team of a huge hypergrowth company such as Uber Eats. Uh, across um, Australia and New Zealand, and he's worked globally before that for PwC Consulting in many industry roles and across multiple disciplines. He went from PwC to work in FMCG for companies such as Lion and Nestle, ended up doing a digital transformation uh, role for Americas and APAC before joining Uber Eats and now has his own organization, um, which is all about helping uh, drive a culture of innovation in organizations. Um, he founded this growth advisory business, which was all about delivering practical advice to help companies innovate and grow faster. And this is fueled by his own experiences and extensive research of hyper growth organizations. So please settle in if you are interested in how to innovate, what to watch out for, um, and getting some tips and tools on how to lean in with agility and a different perspective, then you're going to love this episode. So please welcome the fabulous Ben Fredrickson. Ben Fredrickson, it's fabulous to have you on the show today. Thank you for joining me on this very wet, horrible, grey Sydney day. How are you doing? I'm really well, thank you, Janina. Thank you for having me. Um, certainly this podcast is a, a bright spot and, yeah, as you say, a bit of a miserable weather day. <laughs> <laughs> and whereabouts are you? Are you Sydney or Melbourne? I forget. You know, I'm based in Sydney. Yeah. Based in Sydney. That's fabulous. Hey, it's wonderful to have you on the show. We met... 
a few months ago, we've we've sort of crossed paths in a number of places, whether it be through work I'm doing or in rooms together. And it's just through having conversations that I love your thinking around this culture of innovation and why innovation is is so in, important right now. So I can't wait to get into that. Uh, but but before we do, your your background is is just phenomenal in terms of some of the companies that you've worked for, um, the the things that you've been op- been uh, been experienced in in terms of operations, sales, customer experience, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But but where did it all start for you? Where did this passion come from? Can you remember? Well, I mean, my passion for sort of innovation and growth is. I suppose been growing throughout my career. Um, I mean, if I just sort of do my potted history of my career for those that don't know me that well, um, you know, I started with PwC in London, um, spent three years there and three years with Sydney in Sydney with them, uh, working in assurance, so um, doing audit work across a few different industries. Uh, I then moved into fast-moving consumer goods for ten years. I worked at Lion for eight of those years and Nestle for two. And as you say, got the chance to work in a variety of different disciplines. So in sales, in strategy, in service, commercial finance, and then some general management roles. And um, I sort of love getting a grounded, rounded perspective to see a problem with more, you know, through uh, many different lenses. Um, I then went back to PwC in consulting. Um, I worked in customer experience consulting for a couple of years. And then for the last sort of 18 months or so of my time at PwC, I was a director in digital transformations across the Americas and Asia Pac region. Um, and I've really got to see a lot of the major sales and service transformations for our clients over that um, geography. I really understand how large companies are trying to innovate, uh, innovate and grow. Um, so by that point in my career, Janine, I'd probably seen about 50 companies pretty intimately, either worked in them or done a lot of consulting or assurance work with them. And I was always fascinated by how things work, how they grow, how they solve problems. Um, and then I got the opportunity to go and work for Uber Eats. And I was the head of customer experience and operations for Uber Eats across ANZ. Um, and I was absolutely blown away by the pace of innovation and growth in that business. And, uh, you know, I remember vividly sitting, you know, sitting down after a, a sort of quarterly business review just before I joined and just marveling at how this business, which is relatively young, um, was able to churn out so much innovation as on strategy and uh, was kind of captivated by that uh, and sort of comparing that to my previous experience being interested in innovation and growth. And uh, so really I've always been interested in it. And then having um, spent a bit of time at, at Uber Eats, um, I decided to leave the business. It wasn't for me for the long term. And so did some further research and really confirmed my passion and interest in this area. And so founded my own business to help other companies innovate and grow. But um it's been a real lifelong passion to understand and help people um, do more with less and be more creative, but on on topic. I love that what you just said there. Do more with less, but me be more creative, but on topic. Where where does that thinking come from, Ben? I think having had the benefit of such a broad experience, um, a number of real big influences have, have shaped my thinking. I mean. You know, diversity and inclusion, I know you're a big advocate of diversity and inclusion. Um, I am too. And I just, every time you think you've got a good idea, when you share it with someone or some other people with different perspective, it always grows into a better idea. Um, but even just that example, there's a balance where you can keep sharing ideas and go nowhere. So you've got to balance a kind of creativity with a discipline. And that's what we find companies in hypergrowth do as well. Uh, and I've experienced that in my life that, you know, how do you get a little bit of creativity, but make sure it's 
in a disciplined way to get an outcome. Uh, and also actually, you know, when you're running an organization, you've got scarce resources, you want to make sure it's all on topic. So you want to make sure you know what the topic or the strategy is, but you kind of shepherd it in the right way. Um, and that way, you know, everyone's growing and learning as you're doing it and you're actually going to get fantastic outcomes. Your, your career is just so diverse. I mean, going from consulting to FMCG, then back to consulting, then into digital transformation, Uber Eats, and now as founder and CEO of your own business. What, what are some of the key things that you've learned about yourself during the course of your career that you bring into your work now, Ben? That's a really good question. Um, I think one of the things to be able to be have to make be able to make those career transitions, you've got to have a reasonable amount of learning agility. Um, but a lot of that's achieved by having drive and a passion you know, for like a broader goal in my career. And I've always been driven by trying to make better decisions. And by actively seeking these different perspectives and different experiences, I find I look at a problem differently and more holistically than I would have done before. Um, and even if I take the working in hyper growth at Uber Eats versus experience in traditionally paced industries, just understanding what can happen in a hyper growth environment and removing the barriers that other traditional organizations have kind of just opened your mind actually to just go and get it done. Right. Uh, and you learn tips and tricks along the way as to how to prioritize and various things. But I've certainly been guided by that to round my perspective. Um, lots of other micro learnings along the way. You know, I, I'm, I've had periods in my career when I've been a bit too perfectionistic and I kind of iron that out to try to make sure I enjoy the journey. Um, but I'm, I suppose, always interested in growing and learning and just building and using that knowledge for good. I love that concept there of seeking out perspective and experiences to to develop and learn more. Um, you know, it's one of the things I, I talk to a lot of people about around um, diversity isn't just about age or colour of skin or school you went to. It's actually the diversity of, of opinion and the ability to be curious about other people's input and insight to hopefully evolve that idea. Do you do you have a particular example when you think about that con that concept of seeking out perspectives and experiences to develop more that you're able to share with our listeners? A, um, an example of where you did that and it actually resulted in a better outcome. I mean, I, I actively um, I actively try and bring in people into situations that they're not familiar to try and just provide a different perspective. Um, one of the things I find with teams is that there's a lot of things they take for granted. Um, and in today's rapidly changing world, even COVID aside, you, you know, like your base assumptions may not still be true. Um, and so what I actively did, um, you know, even in my recent Uber times, is I would take someone from a completely different discipline and just get them to come and join a meeting on something else that we're doing. Um, and what they'll do is, they, you know, the world's always relatively interconnected within an organization, so they have some understanding, um, but they'll often ask the questions that people take for granted, or they'll say, well, what about this? And even if they just contribute one or two things in that meeting, um, it generally pushes the conversation forward. But also from their point of view, in the same way that I'm a little bit biased in trying to get around a perspective, it helps that person participating to A, build some relationships um, in the room, but also build a broader understanding of the broader way the organization works so they can answer some of their questions better and think about how they work better integrates with the broader machine. So um, I suppose I always like to help grow people, throw in a bit of diversity into growing, get them a broader perspective and get better decisions along the way. Um, 
I'd say from a personal point of view, so I did that do that with my teams quite regularly. But from a personal point of view, I've often, you know, sought people's views that would be challenging to mine, um, just to help me think about things differently. But I think there's an art about when you do that, because if you're thinking about a task as sort of like naught to 100%, you know, asking someone when you're 90% probably isn't the right time. Asking when you're at 30% and you've got a chance to course correct and then form your opinion to do the piece of work is probably the right time. So there's even a learning in that. And is that something that you've always done or is that something that you've learned as a result of quite possibly not getting the input at the right time? Have you, Where did you learn that that was such a critical part of the innovation process? Yeah, so, so I, you know, I don't think no one's perfect and I'm not perfect either. And I think in, early in my career, um, being a very focused and driven individual to try and do the best output, um, naturally, like many people who are used to uh, a high performance output will try and control it all themselves. And then you have a series of instances where you're sharing with other people and bouncing and you realize actually it's better. And you have this slow realization as you then transition from a from an individual to more a leader of teams, a leader of larger and larger teams, you really get the, the benefit and beauty and perspective of um, diversity and inclusion around thought around things. So, you know, I, I can't say that I've had this perspective all of my life, but I think once you've kind of had that epiphany that actually getting another's perspective or other people's perspective at the right time is really valuable. Um, you realize that's something that other people should also do and you encourage that in your team and try and get that right constructive culture where it's welcomed and appreciated. Now, I'm sure it's not been all unicorn and rainbows through through your career, Ben, having worked at some of those incredible organizations and brands. Have you, have you got an example of a favorite failure some you know an example of where you look back and you go oh my god I can't believe that happened but thank god it did and are you able to share that and the learning from it yeah I think um I mean everyone has lots of uh, failures in your career and I think it's the aim is to try and have um make them sort of micro failures as much as possible so you keep iterating and growing um I'm trying to think of any major failures that stick out um I think, I mean, there's certainly lots of situations you go into with, with people. And if you haven't actually thought about how they would feel and sit in their shoes, that, that can be impactful. Um, I remember once um, I was general manager of a large function, um, a 75-person team, and we had to go through a redundancy exercise. Um, and I did a lot of prep, a lot of consideration, understanding for how the people in the exercise would feel through the process. Um, and it's a fairly intense period. It's obviously highly emotive, um, but it was necessary at, at that point in time. I think as we went through that, I then kind of went through the other end of it, got through as best we could, were very transparent, did like the textbook kind of right way of doing engaging the team. Um, I remember after that, though, because this team was such a close-knit group and worked so closely and passionately together, um, whilst from my point of view, I kind of recovered and my management team recovered from that within a month or two, it was like lasting scars on the team, even trying to tread as lightly as possible. It lasted for sort of six, nine, 12 months. Um, and I suppose it's not necessarily a failure, but it's just a consideration, a reminder that you should always stay close to, you know, your employees or your customers and really sit in their shoes, not just yours, because whilst you might move on quickly or, you know, you have other things that are distracting you, they may not. And you need to really understand and be close to their experience because that's really what's most important as you go through any situation. That is such an almost like opportune 
story for what so many organizations and industries will be going through right now and leaders and some of the decisions that they're having to make given you know these COVID times. Um, what are, are you are you seeing this potentially playing out as as part of this business evolution that we're we're all experiencing as we reimagine what the world of work will look like post COVID? Yeah, I mean, I, I see a number of interesting things as I um, talk to my clients and talk to people generally broader in industry. Um, like one of the phenomena that I'm seeing at the moment, which is a little bit concerning and, and, and alludes to this point, is a lot of leaders, particularly in more traditional industries, um, are used to having their people around, right? Obviously, you, you know, you know the stats around the you know body language, tone of voice, and everything else as you're thinking about how people communicate. Well, they're used to having people around, and that's the way they operate. And a lot of people, therefore, struggling with working remotely, uh, and their solution to that is enforce their way of working on other people. Um, and actually, you know, as you advocate as well as I do in terms of understanding people, people are very different, right? And if you talk about people being their brilliant selves, well, they have different communication methods, different thinking styles. And actually, um, you know, in the current environment, there's a lot of actual concerns from a physical safety kind of health point of view that may not want to be in the same place. And my concern is that people, therefore, enforce or encourage people to come into uh, situations which suit them but don't suit others. And I think there's a balance to be struck between um, achieving your goals and their goals. And actually, you know, we actually have one of our products that helps a remote working toolkit, helps people kind of share their uh, capacity, their progress, their challenges, and also how they're feeling, which is harder when they're not in the room, to kind of mitigate some of that. Um, just happen to try and fill a bit of that void where you, people just try and run it their way rather than other people's way. But, you know, a lot of this stuff, people just need to be curious and understand and listen and talk to people. But I think the challenge right now when it's new to people and they're getting concerned past the initial phase is they still got to hit KPIs. They still get a bit anxious and they can't think in other people's shoes. So I'd encourage people to try and stop, find some tools that can help them and really think about other people. And that could extend to customers as well as their employees. And how is how is everything that's going on right now impacting your work in terms of innovation, what innovation is, what it isn't? Um, because what we're seeing is quite a lot of people um, evolving or trying new things. Um, so, so we're almost in a period of time that is ripe for some incredible innovation. But at the same time, I'm imagining is we're also living in a time where we could make some pretty phenomenal mistakes if we're not careful. What's what's your what's your view on innovation right now? Yeah, so I think it's um, kind of there's, there's two polar extremes, I think. There's people who absolutely are embracing the challenge. You know, necessity is the mother of all invention. And they are innovating either in their product lines to produce, you know, easy examples of face masks or, you know, um, sanitizer or whatever, or they're innovating their products in the basis of restaurants and selling in a different method or other people doing different things. Um, but there were also, and there's also with working from home as an example, you know, an own experience of sort of hyper growth for organizations where they've accelerated years and years of development into a, f- a number of weeks to kind of get people working remotely. So I think that is good. Um, I think what people, the other end of the spectrum is people are fearful. There's a lot of uncertainty and they're a little bit frozen. Um, and therefore, they don't want to make mistakes, as you say. Like people have a tendency to try and avoid mistakes rather than kind of get benefits. 
And what we do is we really try and understand what's the baseline of your organization? Like, where are you at, right? This isn't, you know, no one goes from where they're up to where they're starting point into like a hyper growth uh, type environment quickly. It's about understanding your baseline, understanding, you know, a couple of simple areas to focus on that will help you move incrementally forward, just to help you innovate and grow a little bit more. Um, and so we really try and understand the individual's context because, you know, people might be innovating and there's lots of different types of innovation, innovating in a product sense, but in terms of their customer experience or their employee experience or some other perspectives they should be innovating in, they're not. And it's kind of, they might be working on on borrowed time because, you know, like we talk about people not engaging with their employees in the correct way, it might start showing some cracks shortly if it hasn't done already. And there are better ways um, to operate than maybe how they are now. So what tips would what tips would you give to people listening right now? Because it's like, where do you start? Uh, is it, you know, it's like, how long is a piece of string? Where do you actually work out where to put your energy, put your focus when it comes to uh, thinking about how to innovate and grow or how to get started? Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, if you... The way we work work it through is, you know, we've got a seven minute diagnostic, right? That you get your team to complete. Um, uh, on my time after leaving Uber, whilst reflecting um, before starting Innovate and Grow, I did a lot of research into hyper growth companies and found that there's nine different domains that have kind of decoded what helps companies innovate and grow um, into. Um, we've got a diagnostic takes seven minutes and helps you really understand your baseline. Because across these domains, which are things such as strategic alignment, strategic choices, customer, diversity and inclusion, will and skill, use of metrics, stuff like this, right? Um, you kind of need the combination of factors to be together for you to actually make progress and innovate and grow more. And our approach is to quickly diagnose your baseline and then pick two areas of cycle. Um, and we would check in with you on month one, two, three, and six. And just really try and get the engine going and really support your team and sort of work with you rather than to you, you know, to kind of help making progress. Um, if you weren't taking going through this sort of process with us, um, there's a couple of really simple questions I would ask you. Um, and it's fascinating when we look in the responses we've got from working with over 30 companies so far with a growth diagnostic. Like The biggest question is, the high scoring question, sorry, is, you know, do you think innovation is important? And I'm sure all your clients also, Jean, Jean would say, yes, absolutely, like high scoring question. Um, one of the lowest scoring questions is actually that you have innovation metrics that you review regularly. So you've got this ambition and you're telling your team it's important and actually you're not following up and supporting that. So I think thinking about how, you're, how important is innovation to your strategy and how you're enforcing it's one thing. Um, and then, you know, we've talked already about how you're close to your employees and your customer, like, Think about how you're close to where you need to innovate. And that kind of goes into strategic alignment. Like, you know, do you know where you need to be prioritizing your innovation? Um, depending on a company's specific needs, obviously we work on a combination of things ourselves to kind of help you iterate on strategy um, as per our early part of the conversation. Um, but that'd be some of the things I'd be asking people to think about. What is your favorite innovation that you've seen during these last few months? Well, that is a good question. Um, I mean, uh, I'm not sure if there's a single biggest innovation. I mean, there's lots of examples. I think generally as a theme as I walk into this, people that are closest to their customers and their evolving needs are those that have the most success 
because if you do it in a vacuum, it's a bit like without any diversity and inclusion, you go and just drive what you think's right, then it typically doesn't quite work out because part of the best way to innovate and grow is to test and get feedback and build and iterate and understand who you're building it for. So um, there's a number of examples that have been uh, included around being close to your customer. Um, if I think of, like, I suppose probably there's actually something that actually in, in the evolution of Zoom, which I thought was quite clever. So um, we've moved to this remote world where everyone is working on Zoom and Zoom, as you know, has got different, a little box for everyone that you're talking to. Um, and so I think it was Microsoft actually did some work to understand the mental load that it takes for people to um, be on a Zoom with lots of people. And the science, and I might do, a, might do them a disservice in my summary here, but basically the science is if everyone's in a box, your brain has to think of every box as a separate thing versus if you put them all in one big screen, it thinks of what one big screen as one big thing. And so it's actually less load if you have everyone in one in one place rather than in boxes. So um, I just love the fact that in that example, someone has gone to get go and deeply understand their customer, not just in a you know what pricing or what's their like superficial need. It's like what is their like how does this fit in their life? What is the load? What is the Zoom fatigue? Why is that there? And actually invested to be curious, go a bit further, and then develop a product off the back of that. Um, I just love that late, deeper level of curiosity and evolution. And I think people that really think like that and invest, you know, you've got to invest behind your aspiration there um, will actually be the winners in the longer term because they truly are trying new things and going to where the customer uh, wants them to be. What I'm, what I'm hearing you uh, talk to a lot, Ben, is the importance of curious questioning um, to keep asking why and why not, and to try and find almost the answers to questions that you might not have even thought about thinking. Um, would, would that be fair to say that's such a critical part of innovation? And and then I'm going to ask you, so where do people go wrong? <laughs> yeah. You know, I think definitely being curious is, uh, is a critical part to innovation. Um, I think the where people go wrong, there's a couple of folders a build on that, right? So the first thing, and this was burned into me through my time in consulting, and it's going to sound so simplistic, but most people don't do it. You need to invest the time to define your problem statement. Oh. People are impatient, they jump to solutions, and they don't invest the time to be really clear on what they're looking for. And so you can be curious about the wrong thing, and you're really trying to address a symptom, not the underlying cause. So when we do our diagnostic and, you know, look at a organization where, you know, we kind of go from 10,000 feet to 2,000 feet in terms of the altitude. And then we engage with the client who they know their business better than, than we could. We try and go a bit closer and understand a bit of context and really define the problem statement. And it's from that that actually you draw and build, build from. So I think focusing that curiosity around a problem statement is probably the first place that people go wrong. I think the second place um, linked to my earlier point is, around actually bringing in diversity, diverse and inclusive views. And there's a piece around when you do that. So my analogy of 30% in versus 90% in, but also being quite deliberate about what views you'd like. So, you know, I mean, if you're doing something that is new to you and, um, but within your organization, you have people, uh, actually take a step back, lots of people join organizations. And I've heard this on your podcast with some of your guests before, and it's, astounds me but it's true people hire great people with great backgrounds and then make them join and tell them what to do and almost forget about their background um yeah. 
you have an incredibly diverse background of people within your organization. Everyone, everyone does. But if you deliberately chose to get some perspective from those relevant backgrounds, um, albeit slightly tangentially, into their problem statement, you're going to find some fascinating builds. And then once you've done that, the balance is this kind of like creativity and discipline just to make sure you're on the question and actually follow it through to conclusion. Um, really highly innovative businesses do that repeatedly. Um, it's not, there's no silver bullet. It's about a culture of innovation. And that's what we help organizations achieve within their space. But you have that culture where you have to find problems. You go through a process, you expand, you think about it, you refine, you go and take action. And then you just experiment, like mm. experiment broadly and learn from the, learn from failure. Like, you know, um, embrace that and do things rapidly. And that's how you get some really fantastic results. So, um, yeah, that's how I'd think about being curious with focus, I suppose. You're, you're so passionate about innovation and um, it's, it's an opportunity for businesses and individuals. How have you um, almost followed your own IP and thinking over these last six months and innovated yourself? Yeah, so, um, sorry, is that the question? Have I stopped? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, um, I mean, certainly I try and eat my own dog food, so to speak. And, you know, I think Innovate and Grow is on version five or six from where I first started. And the reason it is, is because of testing and learning and listening to customers and what's going to add value. I mean, what we try and do is integrate this culture of innovation and kind of be a catalyst for change in an organization. Um, but I'm well aware in this time period that people are very... Um, distracted by so much else that's going on. So we've really refined the way we do this down to like a seven-minute diagnostic. So actually, you know, people can do it on the train on the way home or the bus or, you know, it doesn't take much time to get that valuable insight. So we've kind of iterated in the way that it will be less intrusive. Um, also iterated the remote working toolkit to actually address evolving needs. So, you know, we talked about the leader that tries to operate their way versus other people's way, Um if you're trying to genuinely in, be inclusive of other people uh, and get all their views, if you're running a big team, it's pretty impractical to be on the phone and talk to everyone. So it's, and it's also not the best way that everyone communicates. So the remote working toolkit is basically, you know, via the calendar email or a, uh, or SMS that you opt into and basically prompts you to do a quick, you know, two to three minute um, basically input on a survey into a live dashboard. So your leader can understand everyone in the team's view you know, on a live basis to know where they should focus their time. So if you've got quieter people versus a Latin, you know, noisier people in your team, like everyone gets a voice and you get to reinforce that and take action. So I think there's some innovations based on customer needs. Um, another couple of innovations have actually been on just really trying to think about the consulting model and just really like be aware of people's circumstances. And, you know, we, we work with people rather than on them, you know, so one of the worst things a consulting firm could do is come in, do a whole bunch of work, and then the IP leaves with them. You actually want to build the skill of the people within the team and you know, be able to solve problems, not kind of identify the, the, the solve problems rather than identify other ones um, and have really specific tools. So a lot of innovation in that, um, but it also takes a fair bit of um, resilience as you go through this journey because you've got to innovate yourself and things that you get quite close to and quite passionate about, you've got to listen to feedback, be open, um, and actually really challenge yourself to make sure you're iterating it for good. Because 
you know, there's a balance there. You don't listen to every bit of feedback, but actually, if you really reflect and think of it, I need to change for these reasons and keep moving forward. So it's doing that and keeping, giving yourself a bit of a bit of a break and being kind to yourself, right? Because it's quite, can be quite relentless as you're trying to strive to make a difference with others. And I, and I guess that's why it's so important to have this conversation on this podcast, because when we're talking about unleashing brilliance, almost fundamentally within that is this concept of constant in constant innovation constantly checking in constantly trying to become better do you um do you see innovation as a constant thing um or is there a beginning and an end or actually is it just part and parcel of uh how we evolve as a as human beings as leaders as businesses as service providers as product providers is it just something that is a fundamental part of our everyday lives now yeah it's a great question janine and um it's funny i presented for uber eats at a conference a chief transformation officer conference towards the end of last year um and i took them through some of the insights as to how you know we transform in hyper growth and the comments at the end included the fact that I never used the term um, transformation at all, you know, and it, transformation is just a, a grander kind of innovation, right, with a bit of structure. And really, I think it's continuous. Um, I think it should be continuous for the individual, should be continuous for the organization. But I think there's a balance because you're not innovating for innovating's sake. Um, if you think about an individual, you need to be kind to yourself and kind of set limits and just kind of go for, I love the phrase of, you know, progress, not perfection, go for incremental improvements um, and be balanced with yourself. And likewise for an organization, like let's understand the baseline and go for incremental improvements. And as you keep doing that, you're getting better and better. Um, and every so often you might want to take stock and actually go, you know, is there a bigger change we need to do rather than these incremental exercises? But I think businesses that aren't continuously improving and innovating and growing in some sense are genuinely going backwards, um, but many organizations try and cling on to the past and don't innovate enough or say they're doing it and not follow through. And that's where they sort of fall behind and then try and take more radical steps. And it's often too late to catch up. What keeps you going, Ben? You're, you're so passionate about what you do, um, about this culture, building cultures of innovation. Um, you're passionate about unlocking potential in your own organization, but also in others' organizations. And you you absolutely have, you know, this this wider, bigger perspective on on where everything's going. But but what is it that keeps you going? Where does the fire in your belly come from? I mean, I just really like making a positive difference to people. And I think having been fortunate enough to have such a broad um career so far and getting that rounded perspective. I've been able to gather lots and lots of cumulative lessons. And what I enjoy is really helping people or teams or organizations like fulfill their potential and achieve more. Um, you know, this you know, outside of outside of work, you know, I'll be coaching my kids' teams and sport again to try and help them achieve more than they think they can achieve. And I suppose I just get a lot of, a big buzz from helping people do that. Um, I think in all the cases, it's about being incremental and building on where they're at. Um, but one of the lessons I learned actually a long time ago is that mo that progress is really motivating for people. And, and I think from my point of view, and it's quite common with entrepreneurs where you do so much, you get to the end of the week and go, wow, what's happened, you know, uh, and actually you've achieved lots of things. So I take a lot of effort to make sure 
um, that I actually do our, our remote working toolkit myself to capture my progress as I go so I can recognize that. But as I work with people, I help make sure that they recognize their progress and can feel that they're moving forward for the challenges that it might take for them to get used to innovating and growing. Um, but I'm just really passionate about helping people grow and, um, you know, and you see more in them and they, they sort of light up. And then it's, it's a bit like a positive, it's a really positive space and positive vibe that happens. Um, I've got one client I speak to, I spoke to the other month and he, and they were talking about actually by not embracing innovation, um, people are wilting a bit and they know the company needs to change, but they know that people, ideas aren't being taken on board and actually they need to, you know, once you start capturing ideas and we talk about how you harvest, prioritize and execute ideas in a sort of that balance of creativity and discipline to kind of get action. If people aren't doing that process, they're not even listening and the ship is slowly sinking, then that's really demoralizing and has a downward spiral on people's will uh, and motivation in the office. And I think that the flip of that, I like to be part of the upward spiral. And I don't know if, you know, if you've worked in a growing business versus one that's declining, it's very different just from a cultural point of view. Um, and I'd much rather be helping people be in the growing side of the equation. Mm. Um, I've just got a couple more questions as we wrap up. And um, one of which has been triggered by that last comment that you made about working in a declining business versus one that is growing and how different it is from a cultural perspective, motivational perspective, etc. And for any people that are listening that may be in one of those organisations that isn't necessarily open to innovation, um, an organisation that wants to just keep doing the same old thing, and yet they, uh, this individual listening may be going, but there's more we should be doing, or I have these ideas. Do you have any suggestions for them to help navigate um, industries, teams, leaders that don't want to shift forward? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, the, when we do the growth diagnostic, we conduct that across an organization. And the reason we do that is, um, as you'll appreciate, every organization has pockets and subcultures. And it's not it's not what it says on the tin. Um, it's not uniform throughout. And, uh, and there's different cultures within I think, therefore, when there's different subcultures, there's different opportunities for leaders to evolve and grow. Um, often in organizations, people hear words, but they actually will sit up and listen when they see some progress. So I would encourage people who are sitting there frustrated um, to reach out and find a way, and obviously happy to continue the conversation um, outside of this podcast, around how you baseline and how you make some incremental improvements. Um, it could just be as simple as, how we help you harvest, prioritize, and innovate some ideas. And within your particular culture, there might be a resistance because either there's a lack of feeling of ownership from uh, the leaders about innovative ideas or they fear it's not on strategy. Imagine it's those two ideas. Well, we've got a process that helps you. Um, you harvest the ideas. You might guide them by actually what the business wants to focus on right now. So imagine back to our earlier conversation, it might be how our customer needs evolving in industry X or what we're doing right now. You might target where you want to harvest ideas from. You might then prioritize against with some criteria that give people, the leaders in the organization, some comfort. And maybe even they have the deciding vote to choose what innovations go forward. And then you execute against them and you celebrate success. And you just create a positive cycle even in that sort of subculture environment and dealing with the current the sort of barriers or potential barriers to innovation there. So 
there's always a place to start from where you're up to. You've got to understand the baseline and then we can help you move forward. But I'd start with your own subculture and what you can do. I mean, everyone likes to see, you know, sort of like shiny eyes of their team and then really engage. So how can you just start small? And then from that, you can get some evidence and proof points and then maybe you can spread that positivity through the rest of your business. What does, as we wrap up, what does unleashing brilliance mean to you, Ben? Yeah, I think uh, I think about it in two terms. I think from an individual point of view, it's really about sort of operating kind of unencumbered from any emotions or negative emotions or limitations. So you're really kind of utilizing your skill set and cumulative experience for good, right? So uh, you know you don't you're not dealing with imposter syndrome or any sort of perfectionism or anything that's kind of like crushing your spirit or limiting you. It's really your just being yourself to the max, I suppose. Um, from a group point of view is the second perspective. And I think about that about, and we've talked a lot in this podcast around the benefit of targeted diversity and inclusion. And I think about getting the most accredible outcomes from a group. You know, how do you leverage diversity and inclusion at the right time in a sort of structured enough way, but then also empower people to have that creativity and discipline to get actual outcomes from this thinking so it goes somewhere. And I just, I find... You know, teams that are the most brilliant that I've seen really have that mix of that discipline and creativity and they have this positive culture and it's a really great space and they're, they're all being brilliant and innovating and growing themselves as well as their team and it's really a sort of win-win situation. That's so good. Um, ben, oh my gosh, you, you really are just passionate beyond belief around the power of innovation and you've certainly shared some uh, amazing tips and tools uh, and ideas within within this podcast and I can tell it you you live and breathe helping your clients navigate through and out and actually to stay to stay relevant so it's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you today um, what my last question really refers back to you um, you know you've done some great work you've obviously made uh, some fabulous input um, in terms of your experience to date and your continued work, continuing work that you do as part of your organization working with other organizations. But, but what do you want to be remembered for? Yeah, it's a great question, Janine. Um, I think for me, it's just about making a positive difference. Um, I learned many years ago, back when I was working at Lion, they said there's no such thing as a neutral interaction with somebody. It's either positive or negative. And you know, we've talked a lot about the positive spiral that innovation can bring. Um, I'm very passionate about this space, as you say. Um, I've got a lot to draw on to really help energize and not just get people like their will up, but also their skill up to actually make a difference and um, sort of, you know, be better off than before we interacted. So for me, if people uh, leave any interaction with me um, being more positive and then having a positive experience and I've left a positive mark, then um, I'd, be, I'd be more than happy. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on today's podcast, Ben. I know that we could just keep talking and talking, so I think we'll have to get you back. But thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate everything that you've shared. Fantastic. Thanks, Janine. It's been great to be on here. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books, or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.